Welcome to the Wits and Weights podcast, where we discuss getting strong and healthy with strength training and sustainable nutrition. I'm your host, Philip Pape, and in each episode, we examine strategies to help you achieve physical self-mastery through a healthy skepticism of the fitness industry and a commitment to consistent nutrition and training for sustainable results. Welcome to another episode of Wits and Weights. Today, I'm excited to be joined by a member of our Wits and Weights Facebook group, Matthew Spiewak. He's also a coach. He helps people unleash their physique. And we're going to chat about training, nutrition, flexible dieting, compound lifts, pain, injury, programming, wherever the conversation takes us. Matthew is an ACM ACSM certified personal trainer in the Chicagoland area. So if you're in the Midwest, look him up who recently graduated with a degree in kinesiology. He loves helping people feel and look better and transform their health through his hands-on work in the gym as a trainer. So Matthew has both the educational and practical experience to help you succeed. Matthew also hosts a 30-minute Instagram Live every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Central Time in the U.S., which is just like a podcast that goes straight to social media. He brings on new guests every week. He has tons of other great content on his feed, so definitely follow him and check him out. Matthew, I'm glad we connected through the group, and I really appreciate you coming on the show, man. Yeah, Philip, thanks for having me on. Awesome chat to you. Yeah, awesome, man. So I know we had a little bit of a technical glitch initially, and we figured it out. So we're going to get talking about training and nutrition. Um, as a personal trainer, and given your background and from our discussions, I think we're really aligned on just about everything, um, the importance of strength, of progressive overload, movement, nutrition. So tell us more about how and why you got into fitness and specifically physique development. Yeah. So honestly, it was kind of more or less in that selfish route in the very beginning. It was just me wanting to get better. First, it was wanting to get better at sports and realizing, hey, if I want to get better at sport at sports, I need to build some muscle. I was very, very skinny kid growing up. And the more I learned, you know, it ended up just being consuming about like one to two to three hours of knowledge, whether it be YouTube videos of just people doing their workouts, uh, people going over different, you know, theories and ideologies behind lifting, whether it be reading blogs from, you know, bodybuilding.com or whatever it is, all of a sudden it just accumulated over time. And I was just building up all of this knowledge. Um, and before I knew it, I realized that, you know, I was a source of knowledge pretty much not only for myself, but for some of my friends and the people around me in the gym. And eventually it got to a point where I was done with sports. So I didn't have that whole background of, I want to get better. I'm doing this exercise to get better at this sport specifically, because this sport involves this rotational movement and all. Then it started being, okay, how can I improve my physique and strength to the best of my ability? How can I actually get to the, you know, the best person that I can be when it comes to being in the gym? And I just started falling in love with that. And the more information I got, I saw a direct correlation to the more uh, improvements that I saw with my physique, how I felt physically, mentally, emotionally, all that stuff. So it just kept on snowballing just one thing to another. And I just, it's, it's just the thing that really drives me to this day. That's so awesome that you found the passion through practicing it yourself, right? Like, I think that's rule number one is having that, um, that self, I don't say self-discipline, but you know, the self-love and the self-experimentation to get into that and then find what you love to do and then turn that into a, not only a passion, but a, a, a profession, right? So the cool thing about your approach already, um, 
you know, I know you haven't do, been doing it an extremely long time, but you've got a lot of knowledge and you're good at combining both sides of training and nutrition, right? And I think, I think a lot of personal trainers focus a lot just on training. Um, and then you've got nutrition coaches who, you know, training's an afterthought, right? And I love to combine the two as well. So let's start with the nutrition side um, and then we'll move into training. And I think we're both we both come from the evidence-based perspective, right? Like I look at your reels or your uh, stuff on Instagram and it's like, yeah, I, I totally agree. And I know where you're coming from. Um, we're advocates for fueling your body in a way that doesn't require crazy restrictions, giving up things you enjoy, but still helps you reach your goals, right? Losing fat, maintaining your weight, building muscle. And I think we call this flexible dieting is the general term that's been around for a while. So what is that? What is flexible dieting and who can benefit from it? Yeah, flexible dieting is kind of that idea where it's, hey, we're not going to take one direct approach, uh, like theoretically, we're not going to take the keto diet and just like we are going to take out an entire food group, throw it out of there, get rid of it, throw, you know, throw everything in your house, get rid of it. Um, we are going to be able to expand actually what you eat. A lot of times that's the best part is a lot of people have this mindset of, oh, if I need to get to this weight, look this way, get down to this body fat percentage, I need to close down on the types of foods that I'm eating and I need to kick things out. And in all reality, once you start giving them more information and giving them the tools to understand what they can do and add the foods that they can use, it actually starts to expand the the options that they have. And all of a sudden now they have all the options. They have the freedom. They have the autonomy to eat what they want. And it'll work because at the end of the day, it's sort of looking at the macro based side of things, you know, does this fit within our macros? Is it good for us? If it checks off those boxes, by all means, go for it. Run with it. Yeah, so I love that approach. It's flexible because it's flexible, but you talked about diversity of food options and really opening it up as opposed to uh, closing it up with the restriction. Uh, taking a quick tangent here, how did you how did you originally learn about flexible dieting? Because I, I know I can think in my past of books like Lane Norton's Fat Loss Forever, and you've got Alan Aragon and all the all the, the guys like Trexler and Eric Helms, right? The evidence-based guys. How did you come across this concept? Yeah, so it was more or less just the idea of being in college, I'll be honest. And, and it was, okay. and how I got into it was just on the total end of the spectrum of the uh, Pop-Tarts and pizza diet, pretty much of okay. like, it is anything, if it fits the macros, it, it works. Because, you know, I was a young kid in college, you know, consuming some alcohol here and there. So yeah. I had to work with what I had, um, I didn't want to spend, you know, a lot of money on some things, not to say that eating healthy is expensive whatsoever, True. but it was just more or less, Hey, I'm in a rush. Cause I need to go to class. Can I just grab like a quick protein bar or something like that, uh, that sort of aspect. And so I started going into it and I just continued to see all of this success with, Hey, if I just hit my macros every day and hit the calories every day, I'm seeing the physical success and I'm seeing it in the weights and all that, and everything is progressing and then as I continue to learn about it, I say, hey, what if we started to make this a little bit more in terms of feeling better? Because with all this processed food that I was eating, my diet was, I mean, you know, as I said before, I was on the one end of the spectrum there, you know, so it was a lot of processed foods and all that. And so I said, okay, how can we make that, you know, a little bit healthier here? How can we make some better choices while still using that ideology of if it fits the macros, if it's the calories, I'm good. And so slowly but surely, I started to kind of change it and tinker it around. But that whole idea of the flexible diet is, is still a staple uh, today for me. 
That that's awesome. So you came came to it just naturally by how you love to eat, and you're like, how can I get away with this but still meet my goals? Oh yeah, <laughs> initially. But you know, you're you're actually referring to like the the uh, muscle and food pyramids or some of the priority pyramids you see where you know rule number one is calories, right? Like to gain or lose weight, you have to adjust your calories. And honestly, you could do it however you want. You're going to gain and lose weight, but then the question is, like you said, how are you going to feel? Are you going to preferential prevent? Pre- uh, prioritize fat loss doing that? Is it going to fuel your training and all the other things where, where then we get into the nuances of protein and then timing and fuel, um, uh, food quality, et cetera. So, uh, it sounds like a great way to eat. Uh, and I, I use that with my clients as well, but should anyone not use it? I haven't come across it yet. I would say there might be a couple of cases where it just doesn't work for you. And this is where the individuality of working with a client one-on-one really comes into play. Sometimes people do actually work better if it is super strict because they're just saying, if I'm giving this amount of freedom, I'm going to run with it and I'm not going to be able to control the calories. I'm not going to be able to control the macros and all that. And so sometimes you do need to take that approach with more strict. Now, I think it's easier a lot of the times when you're working with a new client to start broad and mm-hmm. you know ease the way in a little bit more. But obviously there are a couple cases where it's, Hey, we're getting rid of this right now. Um, the only time I would I've done that before is has been with alcohol, and that's when they sure. specifically go like, "I need to get this." Like, I don't want this in my diet. Sometimes people say, "I want to still be able to have drinks on the weekend and all that," but when there are the times that they say, "Matt, I want this out of my diet. I don't yeah. want it," then we say, "Okay, like we we won't incorporate it into the diet. We will not even include it whatsoever." So. Yeah. And, I, and honestly, I think in my opinion, that approach is still consistent with flexible dieting because what you're telling me is the client is making the decision. They're planning their food plan. They're not saying, okay, here's a set of rules out there being given to me, keto or whatever it is. It's, hey, I just, <laughs> this is a trigger food. This is a trigger drink, whatever. It's just damaging and let's, there's a million other foods to choose from, you know, um, but it's different from saying I'm going to cut out all carbs, you know, <laughs> I'm just going to cut exactly. out Cool. Um, so we'll probably get back into nutrition or if there's other topics related to that you want to bring up, definitely can do that, but let's get to training. Um, I want to hear your perspective first of all on the big three, uh, because when I, when I talk to a client that doesn't know much about training, that's usually where I want to start in my mind is just basic introduction to strength, the compound lifts. And let's start with the squat and deadlift because I think they're intimidating for a lot of people, especially when you talk about barbells. Um, should most people be doing these? You know, what are the benefits? How do we incorporate them? Yeah, I think, I mean, right off the bat, I think most people should at least be trying to work up to them because not everyone is going to be in the right position starting off. Maybe they have some sort of reoccurring injury, underlying injury. They just don't know how to do the movement. You know, maybe we don't start them off with a deadlift day one, you know, where that's kind of a basic rule there. But the whole idea is that we should be more or less working towards that because we need to look at, okay, what kind of movement is the deadlift? It's a hip hinge movement. What kind of movement is the squat? It's, you know, that's the idea of we're sitting down, standing back up. We need those movements in life. So we can start off with variations of those movements that either simplify it by reducing the load maybe reducing or decreasing the range of motion that they're performed in, for example. For example, a lot of times when I want to work with someone to eventually, I say down the road, like in three months, we're going to get you to be deadlifting. 
that's that's a pretty scary sight for some people. All of a sudden, like deadlifting, like, oh, I'm going to hurt my back. I'm going to do all this. I'm not doing that. Say, okay, we're going to be doing rack pulls where we're starting with the bar almost at halfway up the, the thigh, up the quad. So the, we've just uh, shortened the range of motion by about 70% there. We're still getting the top portion of a deadlift where it's still a hip hinge movement. We're utilizing the lats, utilizing the upper back. And we're just going to now slowly progress. We're going to work on that. And then we're going to master that right there, right, of the of the rack pull. And then we're going to lower it by an inch. And we're going to master that. And then as we go down, we're slowly going into it, building up their confidence. And that's one of the things I talk about a lot is like, I'm trying to build your confidence in this. Because I know how scary it can be sometimes to say, say like, man, I'm doing a deadlift all of a sudden. Or I'm doing this new movement. A lot of times just because it's a new movement and they, you know, have this little bit of fear in there that like something's going to go wrong. Something's going to, you know, snap and get hurt. And it's just building your confidence in the gym in order to actually uh, perform the movements. Yeah. And I like that confidence approach. As a, I, I like that you didn't go straight to something like mobility or, or physical limitations because I know um, that also – I don't want to say it's used as, a, as an excuse, but I believe most people can do the full range of motion of most of these movements if they can yeah. work up to it, um, and it's getting them there. So like on a squat, right, if I were to take your analogy of using the rack pull the deadlift, it might be going to a tall box, right? Or it might be sitting into bands if you want to get the full range of motion but like uh, take some of the load off. So for the, for those of you listening, like this is great advice because if you're doing this on your own and you're like, no, there's no way I can do X movement, um, think about ways to gradually work your way up, right? Um, and, and, and the rack pull is, do you want to just explain that for people so they know how to do that? Yeah, so the rack pull, you'll be working at, um, at the rack itself with the safety catches that are there. So it's the, it's the long flat part that actually extend out. And you want to set it up at first. So ideally, a, a good rack pulls anywhere kind of right above that knee. If you want to set it up there, you put your quads right in that middle part of the Olympic bar where it's smooth because we don't obviously we don't want to scrape up your entire leg there. You have your hands just outside of of the thighs. And so what I tell people is the bar never leaves your quads. It is staying on your legs the entire time. All right. It should never leave. And what we want to do is want to squeeze that upper back as tight as we can to maintain that back with the lat tightness or at the upper back tightness, all that, getting the traps involved a little bit. And the whole goal I tell people is we're not shrugging the bar up. If we think about the hip hinge movement, all right, all we're really doing is just starting in this hinge position. We're kind of bent over almost. And then we're just standing straight up. But what a lot of people do is when they are in that position, they tend to stand up with their back. You know, and they go into it like that. And so we're trying to teach, we're going to stand up by moving the glutes forward and, and moving them in that, in that like sagittal plane of motion kind of. And it's, it's that hip hinge movement that like really opens up the box. If, if, if we can get the hip hinge movement down, like, and it becomes second nature to us, that opens up everything. We can do so many more exercises and really, really improve ourselves. Nice. And for those listening who are confused in any way, you know, you could always hire a coach like Matthew to walk you through yeah. this, right? Uh, but he's talking about cues as well, right? Um, so, which and, and different cues work for different people. I know with oh, yeah. my, my daughters, they're eight and 10. If they, they see me working out, I use fun analogies. I'm like, yeah, I'm using gorilla arms on my deadlift. You see gorilla arms that just hangs down. I don't pull, they just hang and I drive in my legs, grill arms, mm-hmm. you know, or, or I'm pushing the earth away, you know, or s- stuff like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's fun. So 
What about the bench press? The other big three, um, the bench press maybe is a little more complicated than people make it out to be. Uh, but if, you know, if people can use their full body and the right grip and the leg drive and all that, I'm sure they could, um, you know, realize the benefits of it. So what are your thoughts on that move? Yeah, I love the bench press, but I do agree with you where it's a lot of times people kind of take it a little bit too simple. I will say it's mm-hmm. off from just the physical superficial perspective. Yes, it's the easiest one out of mm-hmm. out of the three. It's the less technical. We're not utilizing our entire body that's actually moving, but that's not to say that we're not utilizing the entire body. So a lot of people go into it and think, oh, all you do is you just move the bar down your chest and you press back up. Okay, it's what muscles you're working. If they're somewhat knowledgeable, they're going to say, oh, it's the chest, triceps, shoulders. So yes, that is correct. But we also need to think about the setup and how to get as much power as we can, as much force as we can, not only to improve the amount of weight that we can actually lift, but to also keep us tight as we can, because a lot of times people have a shoulder problem or they actually will injure their lower back on the bench press, mm-hmm. which is really interesting. It's like you're injuring your lower back on the bench press. How are you doing that? And it's when we're creating that arch in the lower back, but we're not utilizing the hips and the legs. And so whenever we are moving that lower back, I'm, I'm in more of the realm where we can move that lower back as much as we want, as long as we are directing the pressure that the exercise is placing upon us into the right muscle groups. Mm-hmm. So in that movement, and what I'm saying by that is we're going to have that arch in the lower back. So we're going to move it a little bit, but we don't want the pressure going to the lower back. We want the pressure going to the hips because if we compare the lower back to the hips, the hips is so much stronger by 95%. I mean, it can bear so much more load, produce so much more power. So we, the goal there is to, pinpoint all the pressure into the hips so the hips then can drive uh the movement forward yeah awesome i I love that uh so you're moving the back and you're you're supporting the load going through the back to the hips and really relying on the hips and the back is just a a stabilizer right so to speak what about the shoulders what about the shoulder blades on the back of the bench because a lot of people tend to just relax and not think about that what do they need to do there yeah, I mean, it's this is the simple cue where you're just pinching the shoulder blades back. Uh, and this is where either if there's two main cues that I would use for this, and it works for different people. So either pinch the shoulder blades back, which you are literally just retracting the scapula as close as we can, right? And the second one is, all right, just get a high chest, get a big chest in there. Because what we re- ideally want is we want the chest to be above the shoulders when we do a movement. If you're to look at yourself from the side, you want the chest here and the, the shoulders down here because then the chest is the main mover uh, compared to the shoulders. And so some people don't have that mind-muscle connection to say, per se of actually being able to retract the scapula. But if I say, hey, just make a big chest, mm-hmm. pump that chest out as big as you can, naturally you're going to pull your shoulders back and move it out. It's the same thing. It's just yeah. that we're relaying the information yeah. differently. We're relaying the instructions differently to you. Yep. Yep. Again, where a coach is very beneficial. Uh, do you do, you do online form checks for folks or are you just in person? I do them if they send me a video at this point. Um, I'm, I'm only training in a uh, gym right now. So only personal training and coaching in the gym, but by all means, I always love, I do have people like will send me their videos to see like, if, is this form good? Can I improve mm-hmm. this? 
if, if they do have that scenario where my back is hurting in a squat, yep. you know, we, we go through it a little bit because I'm always trying to help because cool. I know that pain of being lost and confused. And then if you are in that position where you're getting hurt or you're getting injured in these movements that you want to perform to the best of your ability, it sucks. And yep. I've been there for so long and I know that pain and I'm like, I don't want you to be there. I, I want to help you as much as I can. Cool. Yeah. And, and he, I, you know, I could tell you talk like a coach who knows what he's talking about and, and there, there's a lot of coaches that don't. And so people struggle if they're trying to find someone to help or if they're working from their home gym of how, you know, who to go to. So just trying to throw some clients your way. If people are listening and want to send you some form checks. Um, what about, what about the fourth big lift? The one that I really love the overhead press. Do you program that in? Do you consider it a big lift? Like, what are your thoughts on that? Oh yeah. Overhead press is, yeah. We talk about the big three just because those are going to hit all the muscles. Mm-hmm. But in all reality, we do need to include overhead press. And I would also include a row in that. A row. Yeah. Um, but yeah, 100%. I mean, I always like to say this. If I could go back to my past self when I first started working, I would only program those, those five movements pretty much. And I would tell myself, just get really good at those movements. Sure. Build the skill build the base, build the foundation just to get really good at moving your body through that pattern. And then later on, we can start to add in some new, new movements in there, have some fun. But I mean, honestly, you can grow so much muscle and improve so much if you were to just focus on those. Yeah. And you mentioned a row as well. Do you throw a pull in there into like the fundamentals, like pull-ups and chins, or do you just rely on the deadlift at that point? Yeah, if they can do a pull-up and chin-ups, yeah, it's 100%. I'm going to do it. I mean, if not, we just set it up an inverted chin-up or inverted row where uh, we just set up the bar on the safety catches once again. And you're just doing – you're grabbing onto the bar there and you're pulling yourself up. So it's from from the ground. Um, But 100%, those are the main movements. And for everyone, obviously, I'm – when I program for clients, it's going to be different for everyone. Everyone has a different goal. They're starting off at a different starting point. They have different uh, limitations, different strengths, different weaknesses. But ideally, I try to find how can we fit these main movements into every single person, whether it be a different variation, whether it be a different intensity, different frequency, all that stuff. Ideally, the same um, main foundational movements are in every single person's uh, workout. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, and some people know, know call these functional movements, but unfortunately, the the CrossFit world also kind of took that over. And <laughs> and I know, yeah, what you're referring to, you mentioned earlier, is you got your hip hinge, your squat, your vertical, and, and horizontal presses and pulls, which is just how we move in real life, right? Um, what what about intensity? So if you're starting someone new who's never trained before, they want to get stronger, you know. At, I will say an average person, they may, you know, they may not be in the greatest of health, but they're not, they don't have any significant limitations. Um, taking the squat, for example, are you working in a fairly low rep range or do you start higher? What's the programming look like? Yeah. So it's interesting here. I wouldn't even look at what rep range I'm starting with because that can vary and I'll explain why, okay. but I would really automatically start at a low intensity just because they're coming off what, whether it be that they have some experience in the past, whether whether it be they've been doing stuff on their own and they can probably handle it, when they work with me, I'm throwing a new stimulus at them. And their body automatically is going to be like, well, what is happening? We need to adjust. We need time to adjust to this. So I always tell people the goal of the first week of the workouts is for me not, not to make you sore. I'm really trying to not make you sore. That being said, 
you might be sore a little bit, sure. but I'm not trying to drive you into the ground. You are only going to be sore just because it's this is a new movement pattern for you and all that. Now, going back to why I said the volume per se, yeah, let's say we're already going to be a low intensity. We know that. But if we're at a low intensity, we can play around with the volume. So let's let's say we're going back to what you said of working with the squats. So we can either work at a low intensity and a higher volume per se with a four by eight. Just all of a sudden we're getting, you know, 32 reps in there. My math is correct there. Um, or what we could do is actually go you know, six sets of three. Because sometimes if you throw them in to do eight reps at a time, it's just a lot at once and it's mm-hmm. too much to focus on and they get fatigued even at a very low like yeah. mentally fatigued. Sure. So if you just say three reps at a time, you can actually help them out and, and do like focus on one cue here for these three reps. I don't care about anything else. Focus on you know, keeping the elbows tucked in for three reps. They mm-hmm. do that. Everything's fine. And then you focus on, all right, focus on keeping the heels down just for these three reps. And then they do that and they focus and slowly you're building up all these cues. Cause honestly, mm-hmm. I tell people, I'm like, I'm throwing a lot of stuff at you right now. Sure. And it's, it's, it's hard. To remember. Yeah. Yes, it is skill. Exactly. Yep. But as long as we're starting with that low intensity, we can vary depending on how much volume we, we want to put into it. Sure. Yeah. And then um, I imagine pe- different people will take to it more quickly than others. If someone is more athletically inclined versus not, And yeah, like you said, your skill and technique and form sets you up for eventually making a ton of progress, doing it fairly quickly later on and and not injuring yourself. Yeah. Oh my God. Right. (laughs) Versus trying to go all all out initially and then just, just having bad habits. Um, You know, I just heard about a study that came out. I think it was, I think it was stronger by science, put it on the website. might've been today showing that in the back squat, um, the more, the higher the intensity, uh, the more recruitment of the hips, right? So at, at higher reps and lower intensity, it's more quad dominant, which you kind of, kind of know that. I mean, trainers know that someone intuitively, you know that, but it's interesting to see in the research, um, how that recruitment ramps up and take the load goes more and more to the hips, uh, based on your relative intensity. Uh, just, just mentioning that. I don't know if you had heard that it's pretty cool stuff. No, that's cool. Yeah. yeah. It's always interesting to hear that. Uh, yeah, because then we talk about, okay, how do people get really strong? And the squat is like a whole body movement, right? And eventually you do have to lift pretty heavy. So how do you work with somebody who's like, I want to get stronger and I want to improve my body composition. And you're past that initial training phase of skill development. They've got the lifts down. You trust that they know what they're doing. What does your programming look like at that point? Yeah, at that point, that's when we can say, you know, I, I like to tell people we're trying to check off these boxes here. I just had like a client the other day, like we finally got to that point where the, I didn't even need to like remind her of the deadlift cues and anything like that. We just added the weight and she finally got it. All five reps were like perfect. And I said, that box is, is checked off now. Now we can start to work with the deadlift and manipulate the intensity and actually go into, okay, what is that main goal that we're trying to get to? How can we actually utilize the intensity to actually achieve that goal? Um, but I mean, first and foremost, obviously we do have to check off that box and just make sure that we have that movement down. Then what we go into is more or less increasing the intensity a little bit. So we're still going to be working that main movement of, of the squat. So we have the skill, the squat down, we can perform a squat without, you know, failing, without having really bad heels coming up, knees caving in all that, all that, um, that stuff there. So now we can say, okay. Now we're going to start increasing the weight and they're going to feel what the intensity is because before that 
we were keeping the weight kind of low though. That load was pretty light just because we wanted to be good at the movement. We didn't want to get fatigued too much because we still wanted to be strong enough to do the movement and get the practice reps in. Now we're saying, all right, we got the practice reps in. We're going for the actual game now. Like this is, this is where it matters. Mm -hmm. Um, And the intensity goes up. Obviously it's not like we're going to max out. Um, I I tell my clients, I'm like, I'm never gonna have you max out. Not going for like less than a, a two rep max, three rep max here. But we're still trying to go anywhere between um, anywhere between the 70, 75, 80 percent for anywhere between, I would say, four to six reps is a good mark for just building the overall strength, uh, which is where I usually tend to throw them at. If you're going anywhere above, it's 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 taxing on your CNS if you're going to go above like 10 reps for a squat. And there's only so much weight that you can put on. For sure. Yeah, that's, sure. that, that's the tough part. So that's like a mark of, uh, uh, of uh, if you can if you could do what is it three sets of twenty or something on the squad is a test of yourself, you know. Oh gosh, I can't <laughs> imagine uh, doing that. <laughs> you know, at, and and I and you're supposed to do it at like a ten RM to get the twenty at a ten RM. You know what I'm saying? Oh um, okay, so I like what you're saying, and that's good for people to hear, right? Because a lot of people have, uh, I think. Um, Conventional wisdom is more the hypertrophy or bodybuilding range, 8 to 12, you know, especially a lot of my female clients come in doing everything sets to 10 with like the pink dumbbells and and kind of the same thing week after week. And I, I say that a little bit facetiously, but they know it. And, you know, when we talk about strength and what you're talking about here is, hey, you want to build muscle and you want to get stronger. And it's not just about aesthetics, right? It's about health, but guess what? It all ties together. So if so you, somebody, somebody comes in, you say, yeah, that's what we're going to do. We're going to go really intense here. Um, and they say, yeah, but I want to, I want to get ripped, you know, or I want to get big muscle, big biceps or, or a female client, you know, bigger glutes. Um, what's your response? Is this going to help them? Oh, 100%. It's still going to help them. Um, are you talking about specifically if how I'm going to do a squat to help with bigger biceps or just... No, 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 not as classified. So just, you know, the, the, the notion that you have to do, uh, bodybuilding style movements almost exclusively to build your physique. Hey, this is Philip Pape. And if you feel like you've put in effort to improve your health and fitness, but aren't getting results, I invite you to apply for one-on-one coaching to make real progress and get the body you desire. We'll work together to figure out what's missing so you can look better, perform better and feel better. Just go to witsandweights.com slash coaching to learn about my program and apply today. Now back to the episode. Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, I've built a lot of my physique on, on doing the lower reps. Rarely do I go past 10 or 12 reps in a lot of things. Now, granted, if I'm going to do that, I need to be going at a higher intensity because the volume is down. We know that there is an inverse relationship between volume and intensity. So that is there. If we wanted to go more hypertrophy, we can. This is this is the beautiful thing about weightlifting and trying to build muscle and trying to build strength is that there's a thousand ways to skin a cat. So I could work, I could go somebody strictly with just doing six to eight reps on pretty much every movement and they are still going to build muscle. And then at the same time, I could go with somebody else and not even touch six reps, stay mm-hmm. around like the 10 to 12 if they really wanted to. And we would still see a lot of muscle and a lot of improvement. Now the best is when we can like combine both worlds and like go up and down and change things around. And that's where the programming comes into play. But I always tell people, I'm like, dude, like there's so many ways we could do it. If you really don't want to go that low in weight, I'm not going to force you. I'm going to try my best to explain why I want to do it. 
But if, if you are saying there's no way I'm doing five reps on a squat, I say, all right, we're not going to do it. <laughs> so true. There's so many ways to get there. And I think that the, the, like the bro science has evolved to kind of catch up to where anywhere between, you know, three and tw- three and 18 reps or something is going to, is going to work pretty effectively. And the yeah. only reason more that more reps than that doesn't work is because most people can't actually mentally deal with the amount of work required to do more than that. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> at, the right, at the right level of uh, to, to a failure. Um, cool. So let's talk low back pain because you alluded to that a little bit earlier somebody you know you you tell them you're going to deadlift and they're like no that's going to be bad for my back and i personally had back surgery last year i had a microdiscectomy on my l5 s1 and and since then i've done i can't tell you how many squats and deadlifts and it feels great and i think it's the best thing to do but um form is really important as we've talked about how do people avoid pain or maybe if they come to you with pain maybe get rid of pain yeah, the first thing we do is we actually move that back. That is that is what we want to do. Mm-hmm. A lot of times I tell people when they come in and the I'm a big stickler. The very first movement I do for every single client, no matter what, is going to be a cat cow or a cat camel is what some people say. I think cat cow makes a little more sense. Mm-hmm. But that's where you're just in that tabletop position and you're flexing and extending that that entire spine pretty much. And what I tell a lot of people is like, yeah, our lower back if we get so afraid, we have this natural fear of moving the lower back and hurting the lower back, which obviously is there because, you know, either you've experienced an injury before or you've seen somebody else with that injury. With In your case, you've had that surgery. Oh, I don't want to move my lower back. I don't want to have the surgery that, that Philip had. But in all reality, if we don't, you know, move that lower back and move that spine in general, we're teaching it to pretty much just be stiff that entire time. And so then all of a sudden, when we are in a position, because, you know, whether it be in life, we're bending down to pick something up or we are in the weight room, you know, we're moving around, putting a plate back. um, All of a sudden, we find ourselves in a vulnerable position where the back is in a flat, that lower lumbar region is in a flex position. And all of a sudden we haven't prepared for that. And then it snaps and then and then it like pulls and and back spasms and all that. And And then we get hurt. So the first thing is just moving and putting that lower back in, in those flex and extended positions. That's awesome. Yeah. So you are preparing for, and this is great for people to hear when you lift a lawnmower onto the back of a truck <laughs> and you're flexing your back and then you're lifting and then you're twisting. Have you prepared for those movements? Cause if not, that's where you get injured is what you're saying. And don't be afraid of the very controlled environment of a deadlift, which Matthew's going to help you actually work up that that load on against those muscles to be able to handle that movement in real life and and even you know what else i think of strongman the strongman competition they just had the rogue invitational right with those events and you see them doing the atlas stones and you're like wow they're they are rounding their backs significantly crazy that's the point like you have to so you have to prepare for that right yeah exactly exactly yeah so then um what if you do get injured like a strain, tendonitis, something else. And, and there's so many, there's so much complexity when it comes to injury oh, yeah. because there's nerve pain, there's things and, and PTs and doctors half the time don't know what they're talking about. No, no offense. Half the time they do. Uh, <laughs> what do you, somebody comes to you and says, you know, I just have shoulder pain all the time and I've had it for years. Like, what do we do? Yeah. Well, my job, I always like to go back into my kinesiology degree, you know, the study of the movement, all right? How can we move your body to possibly make it feel better? I really try to stay in, stay in my lane of, 
I'm not trying to diagnose you. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a physical. We're not going to spend an hour training session working on your shoulder because, you know, that's not the point. Mm -hmm. But what we can do is look at how you move, right? Does the shoulder hurt when you come in, when you're externally rotating uh, your arm all the way back? Is it hurting when we're bringing it behind our back? You know, we can look at those movements and I can say, honestly, it's a quick YouTube video from the past that I've done and just say, oh, usually when you're in this pain, when you can't rotate your arm this way, there's here are five movements that you can include. Mm-hmm. And just by doing that, we can sometimes, you know, maybe it's, it's, it's almost never a, uh, oh, it's fixed in one inch sure. one minute. Wow, this is great. It's saying, hey, this is the problem that we have. It's not an underlying issue because it's obviously an issue in front of us. But this is what we're going to be working on every time we come in. We are going to dedicate five, 10 minutes of our time just by working on this because this is what's really holding us back. We can't make a lot of progression until we can take care of this. Slowly but surely, we're going to get it done. Cool. Um, just by going through the movements of our body, what can we actually do? And this is where like all the biomechanics and actually understanding muscles and, and all that stuff comes into play. Um, but it's just taking that approach of, of moving your body the way that it's supposed to. I love it. And moving and not just resting, right? Because people have probably tried yes. that for years and oh my gosh. now they've got the scar tissue or whatever else. Uh, it's so funny because uh, a few years back I had – golfer's elbow, right? Bicep tendonitis. And I know for a fact it was from a terrible squat grip I had, which is not something people would necessarily jump to, right? In their head is their squat group, which I fixed the squat I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about, right? So, you know, now I use a thumb over and I have, and and I do it a certain way that works for me, um, where there's no strain on the elbow, but, um, the pain was still there for a while. So then I had to rehab it. Mm -hmm. And the best way to rehab it was chin-ups and you're like, Oh, that why chin up and they were chin-ups are painful. Right. But I kept it light and I did high reps and, and I rehabbed it. So you're talking about movements, like reinstilling the basement mo- basic movement patterns that are natural to kind of push through that. Yeah. yeah. The easiest for that, I like to say is let's say they are having shoulder problems when we're benching and we try to make the adjustments on the barbell bench and they're still feeling it, you know, mm-hmm. uh, half the time or more than half the time, if we could just step away from the barbell and go to a dumbbell bench, it, the pain goes away immediately. So then all of a sudden we found a way, I mean, we found a way to actually still get that, that, uh, pressing motion of the chest without any pain. Yeah. Okay, great. Look at that. There you go. That that's great advice too. For people listening, just an alternate or variant of a, of a move, try it out. Awesome. Um, okay. So we've talked about, we talked a lot about the show on the show about the difference between exercise and training, right? Like exercising is going to the gym, not really having a plan and just, you know, having fun, getting a sweat in, whatever, whereas training is something that's planned out, right? Or a difference between a workout and a program. So for you as a personal trainer, programming is a huge part of what you do. I mean, it's, it's basically what, where your expertise comes from and why somebody uh, would need a coach. So help us understand why it's important to getting results. Yeah, well, we need to get results because we want to be efficient with our time. I always, I always go back to that. It's like, don't you value your own time? Don't you respect your own time? Okay, so you're already paying money to go to a gym. And let's say you're at a home gym, right? Even if you're not paying money to go to your home gym, you're still paying time. You're putting some sort of an investment in. Don't you want to get the most out of your return in your investment? All right, so how do we do that? We need to be able to have a plan uh, for efficiency in there. And so that plan of efficiency comes through actually programming and saying, okay, you're going into this day to do this movement this many sets, this many reps. And then you're going to this moment and do this and this and this. Okay. 
Um, and that is how, and then you say, take a step back. Okay. How is this going to help me reach my goals? You say, Oh, well in a month, you're going to actually be so good at it that you can probably go up to this sort of intensity. And then after that, you're going to get so good at that, that we're going to actually change the exercise and make it a little bit harder on you. And then you're going to get so good there. Then we get to this point and you're saying it all comes back at the end. It all circles back to your goal. And that is the main difference is that everything that we do in the gym in one way or another is going to lead to the goal. If you find yourself that you're doing an exercise and you have to ask yourself, how is this helping me? And you can't answer that. Like, how is this helping me reach my goal? The reason why I started working out and trying to get better and you can't answer that, then why are you doing that exercise? Why is, why is it in there? Awesome. So you are wasting your time and you're not being efficient unless you have a plan and a program. And that's basically time and money down the drain for weeks, months, years of your life. Probably why if you're listening and you haven't made progress in the gym, uh, definitely programming could be a huge part of that. So um, are there is there a specific type of programming you really like to use in terms of, uh, and we can get a little, a little more complicated here if you want, talk about mesocycles, block programming, um, progression, like, I don't know, just dig into a little bit of that. Yeah, uh, a lot of the block programming is pretty good. We can also always just kind of put somebody into this. Um, you know, let's say we're taking a, a gen pop right now. That's, mm-hmm. that's the majority of our clients. We're going to put them through a restorative phase first and foremost. I don't care how advanced they think they are, or even you know, or how little advanced they are. We're going to put them through a restorative fat, restorative phase. My bad. And that's and what what is that? That's pretty much just teaching them the movements. And not only teaching the movements, we're reteaching different movement patterns because what I love telling people is you've spent so much time developing this movement that is, has become your normal. It is your normal. And whether it be a muscle imbalance or something like that, it is normal to you. We need to untrain that and put in a different movement and create a different normal. So it's always setting these blocks of this phase is here. When we get done there and we are confident in our ability and we've, we've checked all the boxes once again, then we can go into a different phase and with a different um, sort of goal, a sub goal, I guess, um, within the overall goal. But the phases, I always tell people it's very fluid. I'm never saying we're going to work two weeks here and then two weeks here and then two weeks here because for one person, they might check off all the boxes in two weeks. <clears throat> Sorry, but for another person, it might take six weeks. So always have to be adjusting. Um, and that's where you're taking it week by week with the programming. You know, you have to look at it and say like, all right, we did really good on the deadlift this week. I think we can progress there a little bit, but that squat is still really struggling a little bit. So we're going to mm-hmm. stick with that and, and try to focus on it a little bit more. So cool. that's, that's the beauty of, of just the programming in general. Cool. Yeah. And you're working with the individual and it kind of reminds me of, again, nutrition coaching, same thing where you work on one thing at a time. And if it doesn't, if you're not quite there, you got to keep, keep working on it. Um, so I think a lot of this, I mean, I'm sure you agree. Rule number one is consistency, right? Can, can somebody show up and do it? And, and the reasons are, are many, right? Like for people, for some people, it's how fun it is and others, it's the results and others, it's how, how much their coach yells at them. Cause that's what they want, you know, or whatever. But without that, it doesn't matter. A perfect program is irrelevant if you don't stick with it. Right. Oh yeah. So, <laughs> so how does somebody do anything yeah. even show yeah. up? <laughs> yeah. So how, how do you get people? Cause you deal with all kinds of people. How do you get them to start and stick with the routine? Yeah. So starting with the routine, it's, it's starting them easy. 
starting them off easy. All right. And letting them have autonomy in it. Um, I always like asking two questions. It's all right. How many days can you come into the gym on your worst week? You know, work is work is hell. Your family's going crazy. You know, some, something happens. How many days do you know that you can come in here? And usually that's, that's the common denominator there is like three days. It's like, usually like, I know I can be here three days a week, even on the worst week. I'm like, okay, sweet. We're going to work at three days. And then I always like to tell them, all right, what movements do you really love doing? You know, is there a machines, free weights, kettlebells, cables, bands, stuff like that. Cause the whole goal is if we're trying to get them into this new stimulus, this new habit, this, this, this new practice in their life, if we were to throw all of this new things, all, all the new things at them at once, it might be too much of a, of a new stimulus. It might overload them a little bit and then they kind of shy away. You know, they burn out pretty much. So allowing them to have autonomy in, okay, I really like machines. All right. I can focus on, all right. In the beginning, maybe we do some body weight stuff just on the ground, get them moving. And then we go into the machines, but deep down, I know in my head, I'm like in a month, I'm getting them away from machines. Because once they start getting used to exercise and, and intensity and different levels, it's like, okay, look at how we can progress and get away from the machines. But I say, I'm like, yeah, totally. Let's do machines first. Like we can do an hour of machines. It's going to be great. Cause I know you can still get a workout with machines. Now, do I want them there the entire time? No, I'm going to progress them to free weights and all that stuff. But yeah. it's starting it off with the stuff that they want to do. Yeah, I like that. And yeah, you can't come, you can't just say, here's the ideal thing you need to do, especially if they're not going to enjoy it or they're, they're going to be stubborn about it or whatever, however you want to phrase it. Uh, and you start with what they like and gradually convince them just f- through their own, uh, through osmosis <laughs> that there's a better way. <laughs> yeah. Um, Cool. Is there anything about nutrition you wanted to come back to with all this? Because I know you you do you do both, right? Like, do you do you have clients where you you give both nutrition and training coaching? Yeah, yeah, and that's and that's something that I do is um, I I try my best to actually provide that because I understand that like, hey, they can come in here, I can give them the program four days a week. I work with them once a week, maybe twice a week or something, and that's all going good. But if they're going home and they're eating like crap and or, or they're overeating or they're under eating. A lot of times it's they're under eating. A lot of times yeah. they come in and they want to build muscle. I'm like, dude, you got to start eating a little bit more. Yeah, they come um, in fasted, right? <laughs> exactly. And, and then it ends up just, they don't see the progress. And it's the interest, It's the most interesting thing ever because this is what will happen. They will see the progress with the weights. The weights will steadily increase week after week after week. They won't see a physical difference in the mirror. And they're asking, what's going on here? I've been going up in the bench press for the last five weeks. I'm like, yeah, we're simply just getting better at the skill of the movement. Mm-hmm. Like, that's all it is. We're just becoming more efficient in the movement. We're using more uh, muscle fibers. We're having better, higher recruitment pattern. But we're not actually increasing the size of the muscle fibers themselves. And that's coming from the fact that you are not intaking as many calories. So it's giving them guidelines on that because I, I understand it's like, it's a two pronged effect. You can't just have one aspect of it and expect to get the results. Yeah. I want, you know, what you just said is, is really critical because, and you, and you're making me think of it in a different way than I have before. So when I talk to people about when they start training and they're getting stronger, you know, there's neuromuscular adaptation. You referred to that where you're getting better at the skill and you're recruiting more muscle fibers 
that you already have. It's like this inherent potential that you haven't tapped into and you're starting to tap into it. And, and, and the way I've always said it is you eventually you get to a threshold where your body needs to create new tissue, uh, to keep getting stronger. But what you also said is if you're not in that anabolic environment to begin with and feeding yourself, you're leaving gains on the table right from the beginning as well, which, which is great for people to know. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Cool. I've just, I've just re paraphrased. I'm just paraphrasing. What no, you that's, said. I mean, that's what it is. And it's, yeah. it's, it's being able to actually have them understand. And that's, that's why I love to tell my clients. I'm like, I know that I can tell you to eat, mm-hmm. but are you going to, how much motivation is that? Is there enough of a reason to, to do that? Just because I, your trainer is telling you to eat. Mm-hmm. If I were to explain why it's important say, Hey, remember that goal that you have that you want to have a bigger chest and a, and a bigger mm-hmm. back. All right. Well, we need, in order to do that, we need to have mus- muscular hypertrophy. We need to increase the size of the muscles. We need to build muscle per se. In order to do that, we need to eat more and wait and lift weights. So then they have that reason of why they need to eat more. And so if they can understand why they need to do something, they're going to be more inclined to actually doing that habit and doing that daily task rather than like, I'm doing it because my trainer said it's good for me. So I guess I got it. It's like, but now they're like, oh, I know putting this meal into my body right here is going to help me with my goal. So they're going to do it a lot more. I love it, man. And yeah, I'm totally in line with you on helping people understand why. And I, I'm going to use what you just said with clients as well that, hey, you, you're going to gain strength, but you're not going to look as good as you want unless you also feed the <laughs> muscles. So It's crazy, but yeah, that's what it is. It's true. Although, and then, and then you do see the interesting phenomenon where somebody who's very overweight and they, they go into a slight deficit and they start strength training, you see them gain weight and lose, you know, you see them gaining strength for quite a while. What do you, in that scenario, what do you think, um, are, are we experiencing body recomp or is it still the neuromuscular adaptation for a while? Yeah, it could be a little bit of both there. Um, yeah, it, yeah, it's because you have the fat reserves to feed the muscles, right? Yeah, they have a bigger runway, is what I like to say, and that's that's this is a metaphor that I learned from Dr. Jordan Shallow. If you guys, um, he uses a lot of bigger, fancy words than I do. So if you have trouble understanding me, then I don't know if you're gonna understand him. But he always explains it as you have this sort of a runway of how long can we actually do this movement for this I this. Um, pattern for until we actually hit that roadblock we need to take off so starting off from a bigger base there if you are have more body weight you actually have a much longer runway compared to somebody who started off at 110 pounds and is skin and bones they have a much shorter runway where mm-hmm. we can only develop that neuromuscular adaptation for that long um until we need to really start increasing the caloric and, and looking at that aspect but with someone who's more on, on the heavier side that was looking to go down in weight and in body weight, their runway is a lot longer. Awesome. Yeah. That's a great way to put it. The runway again, man. So this is gold. So much good stuff in this interview. So I like, I like to ask all my guests, uh, is there a question that you wish I had asked and what's your answer? Yeah. The question that I wanted you to ask would be like how to understand that less is more because this is something that, I love to fight with people about because that means that we've gotten to a point where you are working out so much and you love to work out. You love what you're doing that you're actually coming in here too much and you're actually negating some of some of your strength and physique gains that you could get. So then I need to fight you and bring you back down. I would much rather have that battle with someone 
to take him down a day rather than like, yeah, dude, you're only coming in here one day a week. We need to get you up to mm-hmm. two. And that step is huge for them. I'd, I would much rather have the battle of like, you're already there. Let's just take it down a notch. Right. Um, but understanding that less is more. And I've heard that quote throughout my entire life. And throughout my entire life, I was like, nah, nah, I'll just work hard. I'll just keep working hard. And it wasn't until I actually took time and I decided, you know what, I'm going to implement it for like one month. Try it out for one month, cut down my the, the, the number of days I go to the gym. Everything else stayed the same. I just cut down the number of days I went to the gym and I felt better. I got way stronger and everything. And I, I was noticing a lot of uh, physique changes um, in, in the good sense. So it was crazy. I was like, took me, you know, six or seven years to figure it out. But <laughs> once it did, once I did, it was, it was, um, it made a lot more sense. Less is more. That's, that's awesome advice. So if, um, where, where's the sweet spot for most people, right? Is it, <clears throat> is it that they're, they're trying to lift four days a week and then fill in the other days with like boot camps and cardio, you know, air squats and stuff or, or running, you know, and where's the sweet spot, like two or three days a week generally? Yeah, it's there's I would say two to four days a week for the mm-hmm. weightlifting per se. You could easily do that. If you look at the week, there's seven days. You can afford to go back to back days on one day as long as you take that rest day on the third day. Um, but yeah, it's a lot of it is like they come in. Let's say they are doing the four days, though. But then the other three are like heavy cardio days. Mm-hmm. It, it's like another heavy boot camp day. It's, and then we take a look back and we're like, dude, every day you are taxing yourself so, so much. Where is the recovery aspect to it? There's no recovery in that. Like, but Um, I want to burn fat, but I want to burn fat, Matthew. Isn't that how I do it? (laughs) Yeah. It's, oh my gosh. And that's, and that's just where it's going back to the idea where if we can allow them to understand it and teach them so that they can understand it, then they understand why, and then they're not going to do it compared to, oh, I don't want you to do cardio for these two days. And then they say, oh, like my trainer said, I don't, I don't have to do cardio, but I really want to, because I bet it's going to help me. You know, because now they're just going off of whatever I say. I want them to understand why they shouldn't do it because then they're going to realize, you know, they can problem solve. Yeah, they buy into it. Yeah. And another question I like to ask is, are you doing this because you enjoy it? Are you doing this? Because usually the answer is not really. (laughs) Like (laughs) very few people enjoy all the success of cardio. Very few people. Mm -hmm. Some people might like running. And then it's it's a question of, okay, do we still need to incorporate running because you enjoy it for consistency, but know that it might uh, interfere with some of your your gains over here. Yeah, Yeah, great. Less is more. And then finally, where can listeners find out about you and your work? Yeah, so I'm all over Instagram. At least I try to be uh, the Spiewak underscore personal training. I do have a Facebook group similar to Phillips, but try to do my own spin on that. You know, I don't, not just trying to do a carbon copy of him, um, but pretty much those two places are the most. I do have uh, YouTube also on there. So that's some original content as well. Um, Unleashed physique on YouTube. Cool. All right. So a lot of, a lot of places. I don't think I'm in your group yet. I need to join that. So we're going to include all those links, the Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and your website in the show notes. Matthew, again, this was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It was a blast. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It was, it was awesome to talk about. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the show. Before you go, I have a quick favor to ask. If you enjoy the podcast, let me know by leaving a five-star review in Apple Podcasts and telling others about the show. Thanks again for joining me, Philip Pape, in this episode of Wits and Weights. I'll see you next time and stay strong.
Hey, before you go, I want to let you know about a free resource I have. They are free guides on everything from fat loss to eating out to building muscle to managing hunger to figuring out the best macros for you and more being added all the time. You want to get the most out of these podcasts and your time to look and feel your best, and these free guides will give you a quick and easy way to know what to do. If you want to get your hands on these completely free guides, you can head over to witsandweights.com slash free. That's witsandweights.com slash free to get your free guides and level up your results today.